This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? Bokertov. Um, firstly, um, thanks so much to everybody who chimed in yesterday <laughs> on the subject of the uh, animosity that's going on between the ultra-Orthodox and the secular community and some of those events that we saw that I spoke about yesterday take, took place on the public transportation system. Uh, lots and lots of comments. I'm not going to read out um, who said what, but I think there was a general theme, and the general theme was uh, very supportive of the view that you expressed, Howard, mm. which was um, that when we go to a place of worship, when we go to a place which has certain decorum, which we know ahead of time is required, then it seems sensible to respect the place, to respect what it, uh, the the belief system of mm-hmm. the people who run that place, just as we would do when we go to a church or to a shul or to a mosque or any place where you know ahead of time people go to the courtel, you know there's a certain dress code that's expected. But when you're on the public transportation system, then there is a certain expectation that you need to be a little bit more flexible and to be a little bit more inclusive of um the people who are there and the different streams and different belief systems of all the people on the system. The problem, and it sounds very logical for Mm, everybody mm. to say, let's be a little bit more compromising. Let's be a little bit more understanding of other people. Let's let us do what we want to do. Let them do what they want to do. And let's try and respect each other. And it seems logical and seems very easy. The problem is that in our society where we are at right now, we're in a slightly unfortunate place where everybody's taken a highly defensive position and nobody is willing to make that compromise step and say, you know what, I'm going to risk my situation in order to respect their situation in the hope that it will be a two-way street. Everybody instead is taking a highly defensive position. Everybody's protecting their own ground and don't dare step across my side. That's the kind of situation mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in right now. And unfortunately, it doesn't help compromise. It doesn't, it doesn't promote the idea of compromise and, and mutual respect. And so every time some small incident takes place, everybody feels the need to go on the defensive and to protect their own position. And um, as I say, it's just not helping move the dialogue forward. No, it certainly, certainly is not. Uh, very frightening indeed. Press reports suggest that the ultra-Orthodox parties in the Knesset may be demanding a freeze to the judicial reform process as a condition for them to remain in the coalition. So why would they demand a freeze at this point? 
So, yeah, so this is a very, very interesting development because um, nobody has actually admitted or acknowledged that this is the situation. And in fact, on the contrary, um, there are a few announcements that have come out saying uh, denying these press reports. But I think there is some level of behind the scenes concern from the ultra orthodox community that the general feeling in the country right now is not helpful to their situation. They are kind of feeling that they're being blamed in a sense or they are coming out on the wrong side of this, these protests, the judicial reform protests. And in fact, they refer to um, the incidents that have been taking place on the public transportation system and the responses that have been received in a very anti-ultra-orthodox um, hostile yeah. uh, feeling uh, across the country. And they've think that to some degree the continuation of the judicial reform process will continue to promote this anti-feeling towards the ultra-orthodox community, even though they are not really a party as such to the judicial reform process or indeed to the a protest movement uh, against the judicial reform protest. They are falling out on the wrong side of this and they are being blamed to some degree um, and the reason is that that traditionally the ultra-orthodox community have not been supporters of the High Court of Justice and the system that surrounds it and the reason that they haven't been supporters of that system is because they very seldom institute actions in the height of court, High Court of Justice to protect their position mm -hmm. and instead they are usually the ones who are having to answer to actions that are brought by others against them, and they have found that the High Court of Justice has not been friendly towards their position, mostly because they demand, uh, frequently demand, require, request, let's use different terminology, their, their expectation is that their community might be treated slightly differently from the rest of the country, and the High Court of Justice doesn't like that. And, of course, the classic example is this issue of the IDF draft, where the ultra-Orthodox community have exemption for those who attend a yeshiva. They have exemption. And the, the High Court of Justice has said that that is not just. That is mm -hmm. not a, the universal requirement of the law in Israel. And if everybody is required to serve in the IDF, then the ultra-Orthodox community should be required to do the same. That's the, being the general view of the High Court of Justice. And so as a result of that, the ultra-Orthodox community and the High Court of Justice have frequently been at loggerheads with each other. And because of that historical context, now that there is all of this uh, um, uh, process of changing the setup of the judicial system, it is considered by some to be instigated by behind the scenes by the ultra-Orthodox community who feel that the current setup doesn't serve their needs. And so they are coming out really on the wrong side of the judicial reform process. And now their main um, agenda item seems to be trying to legislate the IDF draft system and the fact that they would like to uh, enshrine in law that those who attend yeshiva within the ultra-Orthodox community get an exemption from serving in the IDF. We know that the general feeling across the country outside of the ultra-Orthodox community is that that's not a just system. And so in order, A, to protect themselves and not to fall out 
on the wrong side of these protests and B, also to try to promote their agenda item, which is, of course, the, um, the IDF um, draft law. And they have asked the government, apparently they've approached Prime Minister Netanyahu to say, please, can you freeze this process for at least a year? And interestingly, that has also been the suggestion of President Isaac Herzog, who's tried to mediate on this particular issue. He's also suggested that this uh, judicial reform be frozen for at least a year to allow things to calm down, to allow the general state of the nation to be in a slightly different place in order to somehow do the judicial reform, uh, to promote the judicial reform, but in a much broader way that would have more buy-in from those people who are currently opposing it. So um, it's interesting that this is coming now from the ultra-Orthodox community. As we know, the Knesset is on its summer break, and so nothing really much will happen until at least after the uh, Chagim, after the holiday period. But apparently behind the scenes, some have even suggested that they've said to the Prime Minister that they're willing to see Justice Minister Yariv Levine quit his post or be fired or, or to be set aside because he's really the one who's driving the judicial reform. It's very interesting because this really could be the turning point because if there is one point. if there is one group that really does hold power um, even f- against the Ben Gvirs and the Smotriches, uh, I would imagine it's the ultra orthodox parties. Well, they hold power to the extent that they can threaten to bring the government down. Mm. They hold enough seats in order to say um, if our seats don't continue to support the coalition, then potentially the government could be brought down because they might would be without a majority. So that's really where their power lies right now. Um, and they have been known in the past to bring governments down uh, because their own agenda items are not being properly supported. And we do know that the IDF draft law was one of the main items that were signed into the coalition agreements when the coalition was put together. So this is certainly something which is a major issue on their agenda. And if they see that they are not going to be able to achieve that, then they might use that as a reason to bring the government down. So the proposal to freeze the judicial reform is not only that, but of course also part of trying to promote the IDF draft law. Very, very interesting. And it'll be fascinating to see if this is indeed the turning point. The Prime Minister has been forced to defend the senior IDF commanders after they have been publicly criticized. Uh, This story is obviously a very important one as well. Um, it's all part of really the same story, but just a slightly different angle to it. And the, the, uh, there has been a lot of public criticism of the idea of top brass, uh, particular criticism towards <clears throat> Defence Minister Yoav Gallant, and of course to the idea of uh, Chief of General Staff Lieutenant General Herzi Halevi. Um, some people have said that they ought to be set aside because they are not enforcing the law. And the law says that when a soldier is called up to service, whether it be for uh, whether it be for reserve duty or whether it be for uh, ordinary service, that if they refuse to serve, then the IDF needs to take action against them. There are 
various um, possibilities of action that could be taken against such people. And up until now, those soldiers, particularly the reserve soldiers, who have refused to turn up for reserve duty, there's no action being taken against them. And in fact, one could argue by not taking action against them that the senior generals in the IDF actually support their point of view. And so they have come in for massive criticism. And one of those who has been critical is none other than Yair Netanyahu, the son Mm. of the prime minister, who was for quite an extended period of time um, sort of off social media. Yeah, he was um, behaving. Away from, yeah, he was sort of away from the general uh, action of things in Israel. He was in the U.S. for a while. He's returned now. He seems to be back on social media. He actually shared a social media post which was written by um, a, a, a publicist who has worked for the Likud party, uh, uh, someone by the name of Erez Tadmor. He posted a very, very strongly worded uh, um, uh, social media post calling the IDF chief of general staff, Herzia Levy, the biggest failure and the most destructive chief of staff in history. Those were the words of Eris Tadmor, and that was the post that was then uh, supported and reposted by Yair Netanyahu, who then went on to delete that post very, very quickly. But the damage, of course, was done already because people had seen that. And so now the prime minister has been forced, uh, along with uh, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, to urge people who criticize the IDF to rather criticize him. That was, those were the words of Yoav Gallant saying that come, come after me rather than going after them because I am the political person who is responsible for the defense industry. And in fact, the, um, the, the chief of general staff has met alongside with the defense minister with some of those reservists who are refusing to turn up for duty. There have been meetings that have been held with those people in order to allow everybody to voice their opinions. And Yoav Gallant is saying, if you want to criticize, if you want to show mm, your to opposition me. to what's going on, Come after me. Mm. Don't stop your service. Don't stop turning up for service because the country needs you. Rather come after me and I will be here. And I'm promising you that I will try to promote the judicial form with broad consensus rather than the way that it's doing. So he's sort of committing to the reservists that he's going to try and change things around. But the prime minister has been forced, I think mostly by the tweet that was reposted by his son, Mm. has been forced Mm. to come out and actually defend um, Hertzi Halevi and the IDF. And um, what he said was that they fully backed the commanders and the soldiers of the IDF who work in day and night for the security of Israel. That, I think, is a very, very true statement in spite of all of the controversy that surrounded it. Absolutely, and uh, we don't have a lot of time, but the Fitch Credit Agency has reaffirmed its credit rating for Israel. It has, and of course this comes against the backdrop of a lot of controversy surrounding credit ratings and those criticisms of um, the judicial reform process and the extent to which it has an impact on Israel's economy. And then Fitch, which is of course a highly recognized credit rating agency, has come out and said that Israel's uh, outlook is stable, those were the words of Fitch, um, has warned that certain credit metrics could be affected 
by um, a decline in Israel's institutional strength and an increase in government debt. So when Fitch reaffirmed their A-plus sovereign credit rating and stable outlook, they actually went on to describe uh, the pluses and the minuses of what's happening in Israel right now. And what it said is that um, the uh, Israel's economy is resilient and has a high value-add economy, very, very diversified, and strong external finances. And then on the negative side, uh, the Fitch said that Israel has a relatively high government debt-GDP ratio, has ongoing security risks, none of which are surprised to us, and a record of unstable governments that has hindered policymaking. I think that's mm, Fitch's mm. way of saying that this judicial reform process has a destabilizing effect, and yet they've continued to rate Israel as an A+. Which is absolutely fantastic. 8 o'clock, Anthony Reich, thank you as always. We'll catch you tomorrow morning at 7.45. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com. Dot com.